Section 17 of Lucretia Borgia by Ferdinand Gregorovius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Maynard. Book 1, Chapter 17, Lucretia at Nepi. Travelers from Rome to Nepi, then as now, followed the Via Cassia, passing Isola Farnese, Baccano, and Monterosi. The road consisted in part of the ancient highway, but it was in the worst possible condition. Near Motorosi, the traveller turned into the Via Amerina, much of the pavement of which is still preserved, even up to the walls of Nepi. Like most of the cities of Etruria, Nepi was situated on a high plain bordered by deep ravines, through which flowed small streams called Ri. The bare cliffs of Tuff constituted a natural means of defence, and where they were low, walls were built. The southern side of the city of Nepi, where the Falisco River flows and empties into a deep chasm, was in ancient time fortified with high walls built of long square blocks of tuff laid upon each other without mortar, like the walls of neighboring Faleri. Some remains of Nepi's walls may still be seen near the Porta Romana, although much of the material has been used in constructing the castle and for the high arches of the Farnese aqueduct. The castle defended the weakest side of Nepi, where in the old days stood the city fortress. In the 8th century it was the seat of a powerful duke, Toto, who made a name for himself also in the history of Rome. Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia gave it the form it now has, rebuilding the castle and enlarging the two great towers inside the walls, the larger of which is round and the smaller square. Later the castle was restored and furnished with bastions by Paul III and his son Pierluigi Farnese, the first Duke of Castro and Nepi. In 1500 this castle was as strong as that of Civita Castellana, which Alexander VI rebuilt. Unfortunately it is now in ruins. The remains of the castle palace and all the outer walls are covered with thick ivy. Time has spared nothing but two great towers. On the side toward the city, the ruined stronghold is entered through a gateway above which is inscribed in the fair characters of the Renaissance, Iusu unicus custos procul hinc timoris iusu. This leads into a rectangular court surrounded by walls now in ruins. The beholder is confronted by the façade of the castle, a two-storied structure in the style of the Renaissance, with windows whose casements are made of peperino, cement. The inscription P. Loisius Far Dux Primus Castri on the door frame shows that this was also the work of the Farnese. The interior is a mass of ruins, all the walls having fallen in. This notable monument of the past has been suffered to go to decay. It was only eighty years ago that the walls of the last remaining salon fell in. The only room left is an upper chamber reached by climbing a ladder. The place where the hearth was is still discernible, as is also the paneled ceiling found in so many of the buildings of the early Renaissance. The ends of the rafters are supported by beautifully carved consoles. All the woodwork is stained dark brown, and here and there on the ceiling are wooden shields on which are painted the Borgia arms and colors. In various places in the interior, and also without, on the towers of the stronghold, the same arms may be seen carved in stone. There are also two stones, with the arms very carefully chiseled, set in the walls of the entrance hall of the town of Nepi, where were originally in the castle where they had been placed by Lucretia's orders. 
the Borgia arms and those of the House of Aragon, which Lucretia, as Duchess of Bicelli, had adopted, are united under a ducal crown. Lonely Nepi, which now has only 2,500 inhabitants, had but few more in the year 1500. It was a little town in Campania, whose streets were bordered by Gothic buildings, with a few old palaces and towers belonging to the nobles, among the most important of whom were the Chelsea. There is a small public square, formerly the Forum, on which the town hall faces, and also an old church, originally built upon the ruins of the Temple of Jupiter. There were a few other ancient churches and cloisters, such as San Vito and San Eleuterio, and other remains of antiquity, which have now disappeared. There are only two ancient statues left, the figures of two of Nepi's citizens, whose names are now unknown. They are on the façade of the palace, a beautiful building dating from the late Renaissance. Owing to the topography of the region and the general decadence peculiar to all Utruria, the country about Nepi is forbidding and melancholy. The dark and rugged chasms, with their huge blocks of stone and steep walls of black and dark red tuff, with rushing torrents in their depths, cause an impression of grandeur, but also of sadness, with which the broad and peaceful highlands and the idyllic pastures where one constantly hears the melancholy bleating of sheep and the sad notes of the shepherd's flutes are in perfect accord. Here and there dark oak forests may still be seen, but four hundred years ago, in the neighborhood of Nepi, they were more numerous and denser than they are today. In the direction of Sutri and Civita Castellana, they are well cleared up, but there are still many fine groves. From the top of the castle may be seen a magnificent panorama, which is even more extensive than that which greets the eye from the castle of Spoleto. There on the horizon are the dark volcano of Bracciano and Monte di Rocca Romana, and here the mountains of Viterbo, on whose wide slopes the town of Caprarola, which belonged to the Farnese, is visible. On the other side rises Soracte. Towards the north the plateau slopes gently down to the valley of the Tiber, across which, in the misty distance, the blue chain of the Sabine Mountains stands out boldly, with numerous fortresses scattered about the declivities. August 31st, Alfonso's young widow went to the castle of Nepi, taking with her part of her court and her child, Rodrigo. These knights and ladies, all generally so merry, were now either oppressed by a real sorrow or were required by court etiquette to renounce all pleasures. In this lonely stronghold, Lucretia could lament, undisturbed, the taking off of the handsome youth who had been her husband for two years, and together with whom she had dwelt in this same castle scarcely a twelfth month before. There was nothing to disturb her melancholy brooding, but instead castle, city, and landscape all harmonized with it. Some of Lucretia's letters written during her stay at the castle of Nepi are still in existence, and they are especially valuable being the only ones we have which date from what is known as the Roman period of the life of the famous woman. Lucretia addressed them to her trusted servant in Rome, Vincenzo Giordano. Some are in her own handwriting, and others in that of her secretary, Cristoforo. She signs herself, quote, the most unhappy princess of Salerno, although she herself afterwards struck out the words Principessa de Salerno and left only the words La Infelicissima. In only a single letter, and this one has no date, did she allow the whole signature to stand. 
The first letters, dated September 15th and October 24th, 1500, quote, in our city of Nepi, are devoted to domestic affairs, especially clothes, of which she was in need. Two days later, she states that she had written to the Cardinal of Lisbon, her godfather, in the interest of the bearer of the letter Giovanni of Prato. October 28th, she directs Vincenzo to have certain clothes made for the little Rodrigo and to send them to her immediately by a courier. She also orders him to have prayers said for her in all the convents, quote, on account of this, my new sorrow. October 30th, she wrote as follows. Vincenzo, as we have decided that the memorial service for the soul of his lordship, the duke, my husband, may the glory of the saints be his, shall be held, you will, with this end in view, go to his eminence the lord cardinal of Colenso, whom we have charged with this office, and will do whatever his eminence commands you, both in regard to paying for the mass, and also for performing whatever his majesty directs. And you will keep account of what you spend of the five hundred which you have, for I will see that you are reimbursed, so it will be necessary. From the castle of Nepi, next to the last day of October, 1500. The Unhappy Princess of Salerno There is an undated letter written by Lucretia, which apparently belongs to the same period, because it is written in a melancholy tone, and in it she asks heaven to watch over her bed. The last dated letters, which are of October 31st and November 2nd, are devoted to unimportant domestic affairs. They show that Lucretia was in Nepi as late as November. Another undated letter to the same Vincenzo Giordano refers to her return to Rome. It purposely contains obscurities, which it is now impossible to decipher, and fictitious names which had been agreed upon with her servant. Even the signature is a conventional sign. The epistle is word for word as follows. Quote, I am so filled with misgivings and anxiety on account of my returning to Rome that I can scarcely write. I can only weep. And all this time, when I found that Farina neither answered nor wrote to me, I was able neither to eat nor sleep and wept continually. God forgive Farina, who could have made everything turn out better and did not do so. I will see whether I can send him Roble before I set out, for I wish to send him. No more for the present. Again, look well to that matter, and on no account let Rexa see this letter. Lucretia, it appears, wished to leave Nepi and return to Rome, for which her father at first might refuse his permission. Perhaps Rexa in this letter means Alexander, and the name Farina may signify Cardinal Farnese, upon whose intermediation she counted. Vincenzo finally wrote her that he had spoken to the Pope himself, and Lucretia, in an undated letter, showed her servant how pleased she was because everything had turned out better than she had expected. This is the only letter in which the signature, the unhappy Princess of Salerno, is not stricken out. We do not know how long Lucretia remained in Nepi, where in summer the moisture rising from the rocky chasms caused deadly fevers, and still renders that place and Civita Castellana unhealthful. Her father recalled her to Rome before Christmas, and received her again into his favor as soon as her brother left the city. Only a few months had passed when Lucretia's soul was again filled with visions of a brilliant future, before which the vague form of the unfortunate Alfonso sank into oblivion. Her tears dried so quickly that on the expiration of a year 
no one would have recognized in this young and frivolous woman the widow of a trusted consort who had been foully murdered from her father lucretia had inherited if not inexhaustible vitality at least the lightness of mind which her contemporaries under the name of joy of living discovered in her and in the pope end of chapter seventeen